0: We rise for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, beginning at the 19th verse. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. We pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Your fellow redeemed, those who know the peace of God which passes all understanding. The Great Wall of China is described as one of the seven wonders of the world, built over some 2,000 years and for a time extending 13,000 miles long, quite an engineering feat. And much of that remains today, and it is a wonderful witness to that engineering that was there. It extends over mountaintops and through valleys. It is perhaps the most famous wall we have today. In contrast to that, there is an infamous wall one that was probably the most infamous in the last century, that which was called the Berlin Wall. Many of you may have not even known it was there unless you read it in the history books. But after World War II, Germany and its capital, Berlin, were divided in two, east and west, and the wall was constructed in 1961 to stem the tide of those that were constantly moving from east to west to find greater freedom and prosperity. It was a cruel wall of barbed wire and concrete and armed guards and very few that tried to penetrate that wall were successful. And so In 1989, when the wall came down and people from both sides participated in tearing it down, it was a time of great joy. This morning, as we celebrate this second Sunday during the Easter season, and we are reminded of Christ's victory through his death and his victory declared through his resurrection the Lord would have us in mind that there is an even more important wall that has been torn down through the coming of Christ. On one one side, since the fall into sin, was sin and death and fear. On the other side was holy God, peace and eternal joy. Those that... There are two words in our text that should stick in our minds, and that of peace and fear. Because on that day, Jesus came to his disciples in the evening of that first Easter with a word of peace for them. To their troubled hearts, he would speak that word of peace. He says, peace be with you. Reminds them of their sin and failing and rebukes it. But then he gives to those humble hearts a word of peace. And so he also comes to us today through word and sacrament to speak a word of peace to humble hearts. This morning he encourages us to wait for the risen Savior's word of peace. First being reminded that his word of peace is only for those with humble hearts, and secondly, his word of peace brings real peace for all people. When Jesus appeared to his disciples on that first Easter morning, they were filled with fear. They were hiding behind locked doors. And perhaps we don't truly appreciate why they were so fearful. You see, they had dismissed God's plan of salvation after three years with Jesus and his regular reminder shortly before that he needed to go up to Jerusalem, that he had to be betrayed and suffer and crucified, and then to rise from the dead. They still did not understand that plan. They had a much better plan in mind. They wanted to have the glory now. They didn't need a suffering Savior. And so that hope was crushed with Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion and his burial. And the best that they could put together was what the two disciples said on the road to Emmaus was we had hope. We had hoped that he would be the one who would redeem Israel. But now all that was there was fear. They had fled from him when he was arrested. They had deserted him. They had denied him. And what would now be in store for them? And in that fear, they also dismissed those eyewitness reports of the empty tomb and the appearance of Jesus to those early believers. It is in that setting that Jesus passes through Saul now with a glorified body to appear before his disciples. And John doesn't capture their reaction fully. We find it more in the Gospel of Luke. We're told when he appeared that they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. More fear. Perhaps a ghost, another worldly being that was there to trouble them. And so Jesus gives them visible proof of his risen body when he says to them, look at my hands and my side, This was the mark of his crucifixion. He says, touch me. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And what was the disciples' response? Luke again tells us they still did not believe. And then Jesus stoops to give them more visible proof as he takes some of the broiled fish and eats it in their presence And it is only then that they begin to appreciate what God's plan really was. Christ had to die to pay for sin, and then he would enter into his glory. Jesus told those unknown disciples on the way to Emmaus, did not the Christ need to suffer these things and then to enter into his glory? The death of Christ in payment for sin was indeed necessary. But then there would be glory that would follow and these disciples now witness that amazing glory with this risen Christ in their presence. Aren't we so often very much like those disciples? God's plans and his Promises are there, and yet so often we're overwhelmed by fears. And some of them may seem to be really small, like the monster, the imagined monster that the child thinks is under the bed. But we live in a very sinful and troubled world, and it is all around us, some more distant. The war in Ukraine and the shootings on the subway in New York But there is violence around us also here in this area. And there is declining health. There are tornadoes and there are windstorms. And sometimes when you read the paper, it can be all but overwhelming. What is out there? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. See, God's promises... Are direct, simple, and clear. And yet, so often we do not fully trust them, in, beca- in part because we do not think that they are truly possible, or we do not grasp the wonder of the Savior's love for us in those promises he's given. We're often like that little child at the top of the slide in the backyard for the first time. Mom and dad are there. They know their love. They know that it should be safe. And yet, what if? Fear can come in and lead that child. I'm not ready to do that right now. And so also when we face troubles in life, it's very easy for us to dismiss the Lord's promise, to be overwhelmed by fear as these disciples, to have hope crushed, and to say with those early disciples on the way to Emmaus, we had hoped that he would be the one. And perhaps in fear to look for some other way to find a peace with God. Many seek to find peace with God in other ways, and the Lord says they will all be very much disappointed. Some do it by trying to deny the guilt of sin that is there, perhaps at times redefining what's good and bad. Some try to do it by ignoring reality and drowning it in alcohol or drugs or some form of Eastern meditation. We may hide from the truth of that, but the Lord declares very simply that sin and guilt is not something that we can drive away, but rather very clearly that all who sin are worthy of what Isaiah declares when he says, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. He says very clearly that those who remain in sin will be on the other side of the wall, separated from the good things of God eternally, and no sinful man can ever break through that wall. No hope, no peace. But this morning, the Lord wants us to again hear the words of peace that Jesus had to speak to those disciples and also us today. He said again, peace be with you. And then he explains the real source of that peace when he says, the Father has sent me. Jesus had a mission to carry out as the God-man, as our Savior. And he accepted that mission that was there He said, I was sent to do the will of him who sent me. We have a hint of what it is involved with when the prophet Isaiah speaks of him as the prince of peace and again as the angels would cry out at the birth of the Savior, peace on earth. But Isaiah in his 53rd chapter boils it all down clearly for us when he says very simply, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him in our place. For all of our sin, our fear, our doubt, our rebellion, our indifference, Christ went to the cross and suffered and died for in full payment for that to establish a real peace between God and man. It's interesting how the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians describes that work when he says very simply, he himself is our peace. Jesus is peace. He is the essence of peace. He is the source of peace. And Paul goes on to explain how he accomplished that it was by breaking down the wall of separation. First, the wall that was there between the Jews and the non-Jews, the Gentiles. The law was given to Moses, and it was in part intended to keep God's chosen people through whom the Savior would come separate from the heathen of the world so God could keep his promise. But now in Christ, he says, that wall, that law is abolished. Christ obeyed the law for us, and he suffered for our failing. He himself is our peace. And he says, this one body now, he says, in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. For through him, that is Jesus, We have access to the Father by the one Spirit. We've been reconciled to God. The dividing wall is broken down. and The Lord pictures it for us in that curtain of the temple on Good Friday when the sacrifice was complete. That temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. It separated the holy place the place of God's presence from the people, from sinners. He says, now you have access through Christ. Now we have peace through him. Our mighty champion has broken down that wall. And when fears and doubts assail us, as they often do, when we say, I don't know if I can do this, the Lord says to us very simply, you don't have to do it. It's been accomplished in Christ. And to each, a word of peace. To the one struggling with guilt over past sin, he says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's all paid for. Peace that flows through sins forgiven Believe it. A word of peace that he gives to us when we may be overwhelmed with troubles in our lives. He says very simply, first the cross and then the glory. Jesus said to his disciples, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He reminds us that it is also true for us as Christians. In this life, you will have trouble. But do not be afraid, I have overcome the world. First, the cross. Many of us know those troubles in this life that are there, but he says, don't be afraid because I have overcome the world. The victory is sure because I will stand beside you, whatever you face in life and I will bring you to glory. A word of peace when we face death, when it is drawing near the same words that he spoke to the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. The peace and joy of heaven, now, not later. That peace that is ours in Christ. Believe that promise. And for those who know the peace that Christ gives, he also in our text gives a task. To his disciples he said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Then he breathes on them. He gives them the Holy Spirit to empower them for the task. He says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What a task. To forgive the sins of penitent sinners and to refuse forgiveness to those who are clearly impenitent. Who is worthy of such a task? Who can carry it out? Yet it is a task that Jesus gave to his disciples and he gives to his believers, his church, Today, we often call this the ministry or use of the keys, that of forgiving or not forgiving sins. And a Christian congregation carries it out publicly, along with its called pastor, and each one of us are given that charge also privately to speak that word of peace. Paul constantly used the use of the keys, the binding key to declare sins not forgiven. To the Christian in Corinth who lived in a wicked world, he said very simply, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral or idolaters, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The Lord's will remains unchanged. And those who violate it, to ignore it, do so at their soul's risk. No forgiveness and no peace. We live in a time where much of the world in which we live has really ignored or rejected God's definition of marriage, His plan in connection with new life, justice, and even as far as financial peace. And sadly, much of the visible church has followed in their footsteps And so the Lord says to us, do not be deceived. Know what the truth is. Hold on to it. Use the keys as God intended. Support your pastor and your church leaders to declare when sin remains, it is indeed not forgiven. Do so out of love so that souls might not be lost but we are also charged with using the loosing key. And Paul does with the Christians in Corinth. He says, you should be humble because these things he cited right before that, this is what you were. Then he says, a change has taken place. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Sins washed away, set apart from a sinful world by faith in Christ, justified, declared, not guilty, a peace that flows from sins that are forgiven. It is our privilege to speak that word of peace to a world that is dying without real peace. And the hymn, the closing hymn that we will sing for this service. There's a section of that that we should pay special attention to. In that hymn, it says, Once more we bless thee ere our worship cease. It's speaking of our praise of the Lord one more time. And then he says, then lowly bending, with humble hearts recognizing our deep need, wait thy word of peace. Jesus is our peace. Proclaim it to the world. He has won forgiveness for us. He has broken down the wall that has separated us from God. Praise Him for that. And rejoice today. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And share that peace with those who are dying to hear it. Amen.